Today in Canadian history for January 20th, I'm Mark Affeld. On this date back in 1899, just over 2,000 Dukabor men, women and children arrived in Halifax on their way to settling Canada's west. The Dukabors are a group of Russian dissidents who had decided to move to Canada to seek out a better life. Prior to coming to Canada, the group had been exiled to the area that is now the country of Georgia after rejecting the teachings of the Russian Orthodox Church. To learn more about one of Canada's most fascinating group of settlers, I spoke with Julie Rack, a professor in the Department of English and Film Studies at the University of Alberta, as well as the author of Negotiated Memory, Dukabor Autobiographical Discourse. The Dukabors live their life by uh, by the slogan, and I don't even know if it's right to call it a slogan, but uh, but the idea of toil and peaceful life. Can you tell our listeners a little something about that? So it was a phrase, um, and there are a number of phrases like that within the Dukabor communities, but this one is probably the most widespread. It was invented by um, Peter the Lordly, Berrigan, who was the first leader of the Dukabors in Canada. He He came from Russia in the 1899 and uh he um coined the phrase and it was widely distri- and it was widely used because it emphasizes the Dukabor belief that simple hard work and working for peace are the way to religious fulfillment. Uh so Dukabors don't have doctrines, they do have some practices, religious practices that they do, but they don't believe that things need to be complicated. They Very much like the Quakers, with whom they have some things in common and who are their allies in some things, they believe that simple living and just honest work are part of the way that you will achieve um, uh, that you will achieve a balanced and a good life. And so they and so this is essential to their um, philosophy, if you will. To many people, the Dukabors immediately bring to mind the actions of a splinter group, the Sons of Freedom. The Sons of Freedom believed in an almost anarchic rule of government. Throughout the early to mid-20th century, the Sons of Freedom were engaged in acts of public protest against the rule of the Canadian, Saskatchewan, and British Columbia governments. And when they first arrived in Canada, were, were the Dukabors immediately alienated from other groups of settlers in the Canadian West? Um, that, that's an interesting question. When the Dukabors first came, they went to Saskatchewan, and they were sent to three different communities in Saskatchewan. And when they were there, and they arrived there with no resources, um, the Quakers had provided them with some, some food. They had almost no tools. They had to build all of their own tools. The men, some of the men went off to work on the railway to get money. And so women, there's some famous pictures of women plowing the fields by pulling the plows with old men steering them because they really came from nothing. So in the first few years, they build communal villages and they all work together on the land and it's fine. But actually, um, conflict begins relatively soon. And the conflict was over schooling. Um, the Dukabors did not want to have their kids learn about militarism in school, and they wanted to educate their children in Russian. And when they first came, Clifford Sifton, who was the immigration minister for the Liberal government, basically just said, 
it's okay, you know, whatever they want, because he needed people to work the land no matter what, and he really liked peasants. Like, he thought they were harder working than other kinds of immigrants, and so he just was willing to overlook things. But when Frank Oliver, after whom the area in Oliver and Edmonton is named, became the immigration minister after Clifford Sifton, Frank Oliver, not to put too fine a point on it, was xenophobic. And so he believed very strongly that the Dukabors should be made to conform to what he saw as Canadian norms. And so he began to put pressure on the communities. And there was some disarray because Peter the Lordly didn't come right away. Like the Dukabors came first, and he was still imprisoned in exile in Siberia. And so it took a while for him to be brought over. And until then, like not very many of the Dukabor leaders could read documents. Not very many of them knew anything about English. <laughs> and so there was conflict between the Dukabors and the authorities relatively early on. And there was a very early movement not connected to the Sons of Freedom that's called the Sons of God that developed at that time as a protest. And they... Um, actually did a nude parade, and they marched. They thought they were marching to um, a land near the sun, which turned out to be California, and they started marching away from Saskatchewan towards the border of the United States. But they were um, stopped by the Mounties, and they were brought back. So um, there was already conflict before the Sons of Freedom even appear. It's, it's not all about the Sons of Freedom. The Sons of Freedom are a are a symptom of other conflicts that the Dukabors have with their neighbors and also with um, the authorities, and as especially because the authorities began to put pressure on them to own their land individually and to school their children in English. And these two things were really difficult for the Dukabors to accept and could have been resolved with negotiation, and Frank Oliver just didn't want to. He would send uh, officials to examine the Dukabors and report on them. And he accepted a report that was the most conservative about the Dukabors, which recommended total assimilation. So that, that gives you an idea of the kind of pressure that these people faced. It was even greater than the pressures endured by Ukrainians in the same area. They were really seen as a threat to the idea of private property, and Frank Oliver thought that private property was central to Canadian identity. Whether he was right or not, <laughs> you know, maybe he wasn't, but he didn't care. So he was just going to force them into whatever. He also wanted them to swear an oath to the Queen, which is something that, as religious anarchists, they could not do, and he knew that they couldn't do it. So he set that up so that there would be conflict, and there was. Today is a day full of Canadian history. On this day back in 1850, Captain Robert McClure set sail from Britain towards the Canadian Arctic in the hopes of finding survivors from the Franklin Expedition. What he found instead was the Northwest Passage. And on January 20th, 1892, Canadian-born professor James Naismith held the first recorded game of basketball near Springfield, Massachusetts. And as always, we aired this episode of Today in Canadian History. Today in Canadian History is produced by CJSW 90.9 FM. 
The executive producers are Joe Burma and Mark Affeld. Original music is produced by the Fisk, Fletcher, and May Trio. Our series is not meant to be a definitive source on our past. Instead, we hope that it sparks a desire to learn more about our unique history. For more information on the series or to recommend an event or moment, check out our website at cjsw.com slash today in Canadian history. All right, it's Canadian quiz time once again. And to assist me on this one, I've brought in my uh, my co-producer, Joe Barima. Hi, Joe. Hello, Mark. Thanks for having me in. You've heard of a Dukabor, correct? I have, correct. Well, my quiz for today is, can you spell Dukabor? Baba Barima is, is rolling over in her grave right now. D-O-U-K-O-B-O-R. Oh, you are. So close. D-O-U-K-H-O-B-O-R. You're missing one H. Baba Brima, please forgive me. 